Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 301. And Donna will be happy to know that we turned the heater on in the house. Yes. Oh my gosh, because it's freezing. It's 64 degrees in here right now. (laughs) I thought you were going to say outside. I was like, no, it's not. No, but this morning, the reason why we turned it on tonight was because I was like, I was actually kind of cold this morning. Like when I first woke up, you know. And by that, I mean, when my alarm started going off and I started snoozing until time to actually get up. And Colby's like, you know why? I was like, why? He said, it was 57 degrees in here this morning. Right? Because it was like 33 degrees this morning. I was like, yeah, it was cold up in my memo. (laughs) It was fucking freezing. Mornings like this is why I want to have a towel warmer, but I would never use it other than like when it's just really cold in the mornings. Meanwhile, when this episode comes out on Christmas Day. Oh, shit. Is it? Yeah, it's going to be hot here. Oh. And rainy, I think. Ugh. I know. So, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This year has went by so fast. I know. Well, really, like, the last little part. I'm just like, oh, my God, Christmas? Well, this Christmas, we are super thankful for Patreoners. Thank you so much, Shaza W. from West Virginia. Melissa L. from Virginia. Oh, well, I see you're Melissa L. and I raise you Kelly S. from Virginia. Amy W. from Michigan. Well, we can't leave out Elizabeth C. from Virginia. Lots of Virginia peeps. And none of them from the same place, but do y'all know each other? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But for real, thank y'all all for joining Patreon. Hopefully you got it as a Christmas gift. That would be a great Christmas gift. And hopefully you're loving all the bonus content that you're going to be getting, a.k.a. an extra episode a week that has a backlog, well, a mile long. I was going to say, as long as I am round. Oh, Lord. But if you want an episode shout out and all the backlog, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so before we get into my trip... We got to talk about that 300th episode little montage. Yes. I was like, I almost said memorial. Like, we ain't Gosh. good. But yeah, like, celebration thing that all these listeners made with, I'm sure Creek Mom organized. Yes. It was freaking awesome. It's posted on the Facebook group. I think it's pinned, so you can see it if you want to. Creek Mom created, like, this super secret Facebook group and did all these things behind our back and made, like, the cutest video of our sayings and then a bunch of people made videos or sending voice messages to us and just how much the podcast has meant to them and stuff and it meant a lot to us yes it did i cried i laughed i cried it was freaking like a julia roberts movie yes oh my gosh yes and we had all hung out me you and tiffany that day well tiffany was still there and creep mom wanted her to film the reactions like she was like i want you all to film the reactions i was like oh Tiffany, well, before you leave, will you do this? And she was like, oh, that's weird. You know, like all the things I was like, I don't know. It's probably something funny. And then (laughs) I was like, try not to cry, try not to cry. And, you know, Tiffany was like totally a part of it and knew everything that was going on. Yes. And I remember like certain things. You and her are really good at, and Creep Mom, but are really good at just like getting clues and like asking questions, but in a way. I don't know that y'all are getting (laughs) clues. You don't know that we're fishing for information. Yes. And I'm like, God, I can't trust any of y'all, but thank you. (laughs) But seriously, we would not be here without y'all. And thank you for putting up with us. 
mainly Carrie, but thank you. You're not wrong. Okay, so you know from last episode that I had just gotten back from my trip to the mountains with Colby, and that episode came out like we had recorded earlier, so, you know, y'all didn't know anything about it. And we are strict here. We do not tell each other things. Like, we keep it a secret, and so Colby has been with us. Like, we went to dinner and all that, and she's like, hey, don't tell him anything. Anything that I've written down, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> and really, it's not that. Like, it's not even a lot. But it was just stuff that, like, I don't know. I didn't want to, you know. Yeah. Well, we would like to be genuine here. So, For sure. Like, we, we're we not good actors, okay? So I could not be like, oh, wow. But I do have to say, give an update on the Jack's ornament sitch. We're still down one earring, and we're up to nine ornaments. Oh, my gosh. But remember, you were going to keep count of something else. Did you do that? What? Oh, my God. You never remember shit. What was it? You and Colby having sex. Oh, huh. And you were like, well, we've already done one before the y'all left. I don't know how many times. <laughs> More than three. I know that. But I don't know how many. Probably like four. I have no idea. <laughs> More than three, less than five. <laughs> But I don't know the number. <laughs> no, I really don't know exactly, but I know more than three. I don't know. That was two weeks ago, Carrie. Okay. So we went to this place called the Wonder House, Wonder World, Wonder something. It's an upside down house that has like all these like different attractions where you can do stuff. Like I laid on a bed of nails. That was so cool. Ooh. Yeah. You lay on this plexiglass and then they like raise the nails up and you raise with it. It doesn't hurt at all. But like when I got off, Colby's like, no, you can literally see where the nails were in your shirt. Holy shit. That was really cool. And then they have this Titanic water where you put your hand in the water and it's like the same temperature that it was for the people who, you know, fell off or jumped off the ship. Yeah. So you felt like Jack? Yes. So you put your hand in there and it starts a counter to see how long you're actually able to keep your hand in there. I lasted 13 seconds, and then the second time I did it, because, like, I can beat 13. No, I couldn't. Nine seconds. Holy shit. That shit was so cold. Like, it was painfully cold. Like, my hand was hurt. I was like, I can't do it. Like, my hand is hurting. It's so crazy to think about. People were in that water for a long time, you know? Yeah. I looked it up, and some stuff said it would take, like, 15 or 30 minutes for the hypothermia to sit in. Some stuff said it could happen in minutes. So, but just to think about how torturous that was for those poor people, like it just puts everything into a whole new perspective. Yeah. Did Colby do it? Yeah. He lasted longer than me, but I can't remember. For sure the second time he did. He's got tough work in hands. He does though. have, yeah, I was going to say, but like a cold pull, he won't last as no, long. No, but his hand though, he's just got tough work in hands. We know what he's working on. <laughs> So they had like a earthquake simulator that was cool and then like a hurricane simulator. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. I do need you to tell them one thing. You sent us pictures of this. Oh, my God. <laughs> you remember those things when you were a kid that you would like put your face in and the little pokey things would like make the silhouette of your face or your hand or whatever. It was like a square. Well, they had like a life-size one of those. Is this what you want me to tell? No, but keep going. Oh, okay. Oh, I know what you want me to tell. They had like a life-size one of those. <laughs> so I like put my whole body up to it. And let me just say, that shit did me dirty with the silhouette. I was like, oh, look, that looks like it's my belly button, but not. It's actually where my spare tire at the top and my spare tire at the bottom meet up and makes like a little mouth. No. 
<laughs> no. No, I know what you were talking about. They had this thing where you put your face in this camera and it would tell you what celebrity you looked like. Is this it? Yes. <laughs> okay. It said that I look like Eric Stone Street. From Modern Family. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, and it said I looked like Ken Young. I think that's how you say his name. He was in uh, all the Hangover movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the two people it said I looked like. And I was like, you know what? Actually, based on that picture, it ain't wrong. <laughs> I do look like Eric Stone Street. But I was like, that motherfucker did me dirty. Colby gets Jim Beaver. Who knows who that is? But also Eric Stone Street. Yeah, at the very bottom. But like, he looks like he's in a Western. Yeah. But I'm like, you know what, though? It's really not wrong. I really look like him. I'm going to post this so y'all can see what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. It just cracked me up. You know it would say Danny DeVito for me. Yes. But also, like, you had to, like, lean down. I'm not even looking at the camera because I'm, like, trying to see where I am in the thing. And you had, like, a countdown. So it was like, wait, I got to get my face in this frame. But it's counting down. And it's like, hurry, hurry, hurry. And so looking real rough up in this picture. But I'm going to post it for y'all. (laughs) then we went to the alcatraz museum which was so freaking cool or it's like alcatraz east or something anyway but it's like more of like a true crime museum where they had just a bunch of stuff they had ted bundy's car which was bizarre because the seat's not in it just was looking at and going like people died there yeah like they had a bunch of stuff that was super Wow. You know, they had Kaylee Anthony's little Winnie the Pooh bag. Oh, yeah. You did. did. You sent that. Yeah. They had the Bronco from the O.J. Simpson chase. Oh, shit. Yeah. They had Jeffrey Dahmer's prison glasses. They had John Wayne Gacy's two clown suits. Damn. I bet Zach Bagans wants all of those so bad i thought this was cool too they had a john wayne gacy like his color palette of for his face oh. and it was like all signed by him which makes him <laughs> sound like a celebrity but you, yeah. know, you know what i'm saying but i did get some ideas for some episodes where i was like oh i've never heard of that person it was cool they had like the two-way mirror that you have whenever you're doing like a lineup oh, where you yeah. can see them and you literally can't see anything you know looking the other way that was really cool to see yeah, because I never want to be on that side of the mirror. For real. Remember how I told y'all that Dana gave us the tickets to Dollywood? Well, we went. Of course we went. We had so much fun. We went like later that night because we really wanted to see all the lights. And then we rode the train. Who The train's name is Cinderella. And it's like one of the only coal steam engine trains left, apparently. That was really cool because we got to like see the whole park. I guess because of the time, we got there at like 6 o'clock and it closes at like 9.30, you know, so we didn't do all the rides and stuff. So it was $25 to park, but he was like, preferred parking is only $35 right now. Okay. So in my girl math head, I was like, we're paying $10 for parking. (laughs) Right. It's still $35, but I'm like, oh, well, we just paid only $10 for parking. Hell yeah. The guy was like, you know, because the preferred parking is like closer, yada, yada, yada. And he was like, but there's a little bit of a hill. When someone from the Smoky Mountains tells y'all that there's a little bit of a hill, there's a lot of bit of a hill. Oh, no. When I tell y'all we were going downhill into the park, but when it was time to schlep our extra large pizza asses up the side of the goddamn mountain back to the truck, I may have to stop and take a break. And also because you're going back from all of the stuff you all the walking, done. Yeah. And it's cold. So it's like cold lungs up a hill. You're breathing hard. I was like, this is the 
the biggest hill. And there was like a transport chair at the top of it. And I was like, could you imagine pushing somebody in a wheelchair up this freaking hill? Oh, my gosh. No. But when they say there's a bit of a hill, you trust them because there's a fucking bit of a hill. But we had a good time. Well, okay. So the Jack's thing, how he's got, you know, the nine ornaments and the earring. So we boarded him at the vet. And while he was there, we were like, hey, can you all actually take a look at his back leg? He was starting to limp a little bit. I don't even think I told you all that. But yeah, he started limping on the same leg that Bo tore his knee on. He started limping on the same leg on the day that Bo passed away, like the anniversary of my dog Bo's death. I was like, oh, that's fucking lovely. So the vet was like, yeah, we'll look at it. It's kind of crunchy. I think we need to take an x-ray. So, you know, that's $8 billion. And they're like, okay, he's got really bad hip dysplasia. We need to start some arthritis medicine. I was like, cool, cool, do that. Then they called me back. They're like, so Jack's just puked up a rope. So we got to give him some nausea medicine. I was like, a rope? And they were like, yeah, there's like nothing here that he ate. Like we've looked in there like he didn't like pull something off a blanket or anything. Like it had to have been something just in his stomach from home. But what kind of rope do you know? He has a couple of rope toys, but... Oh, my gosh. Or an ornament, or who the fuck knows. Yeah. Somebody's like, we took him two toys. He didn't have to puke up his own. <laughs> it was like, dog eats glass, and he gets to the fucking vet and pukes up a fucking rope where they're going to give him medicine and cost more money? <laughs> God. I was like... So are you sure that it wasn't from the medicine that y'all gave him? They're like, we haven't given it to him yet, so it's not from that. I was like, damn it. <laughs> Please don't need, like, stomach surgery or something. Right. He didn't. He's fine. He's just back to his old self. <laughs> he eats everything. Everything. But the rope got him. Not the shards of ornaments that he eat. The rope. Right. I was like, a rope? What? He do be eating shit, though, so it makes sense. I feel like we can almost do the 12 days of Christmas with like the ornaments, the earring, the rope now. Like, yeah. We literally can almost do the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. Well, before we get into Donna's story, we got to talk about HelloFresh. Y'all know we love HelloFresh. We've been using HelloFresh since long before they became a sponsor of this podcast. But uh, not everybody knows what it is. Well, with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. You get to skip going to the grocery store and use HelloFresh to deliver easy, fun, and affordable meals to cook at home. So you can basically say hello to your most delicious year yet because you're going to have those fresh ingredients, the chef-crafted recipes, and it's going to all be at a price you like delivered right to your door. You can be in your slippers, your moo-moo, whatever, and you can go get your food because it's right outside your door. And with the holiday season upon us, we're eating all the things. And you know what? Sometimes after the holidays, I'm like, I'm freaking bored with food. Like, I am overeating the same leftovers for days upon days upon days. It was great the first three days, but by the seventh day, I'm over this stuff. Well, that is the perfect time to try HelloFresh because they keep it fresh with their recipes. All you have to do is choose your meals, select your delivery date, and HelloFresh handles the meal planning, the shopping. Who can ask for anything more? HelloFresh has its largest menu yet. 
There are over 45 dinner options to choose from and even more add-ons that can suit any lifestyle. You know, get you a little breakfast. Also, they have some meals named after me, quick and easy. But really, you do. You choose what types of meals fit your family. Do you want quick and easy? Do you want protein smart? Do you want calorie smart, vegetarian? Whatever may suit your family's needs or just you, because you also get to decide how large your portions are. Is it for a family of two? Is it for a family of four? And if you're single, don't worry. Get the box for two and have leftovers. Or if you're an extra large pizza like me, you might eat both at the same time. You never know. Like I mentioned before that breakfast is an option with HelloFresh. Well, that's because, you know, it's one of the most important meals of the day. And HelloFresh is in agreement. Actually, they're giving all subscribers free breakfast for life. That means you'll enjoy a totally free breakfast item with every single HelloFresh delivery. Now that's worth waking up for. I will always wake up for breakfast. Like literally same. And then it's a free breakfast meal? Okay, yes, please. There is not much in this world that I let mess with my sleep, but brekkie is one of them. 1,000%. And also breakfast for dinner? Yummy. True. You can change it up. You could make your dinner for breakfast and your breakfast for dinner. Well, like I said, with the free breakfast, you got to go to HelloFresh.com slash CreepFree. Use the code CreepFree for free breakfast for life. That is one breakfast item per box while the subscription is active. So again, go to HelloFresh.com slash CreepFree. That's F-R-E-E because, you know, you're going to get that free breakfast for life. So don't be shy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash CreepFree and use code CreepFree to get that one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. So don't miss out. HelloFresh.com slash CreepFree and use the promo code CreepFree for free breakfast item for life. Because, I mean, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. All right, Donna, dazzle me. Oh, my God, y'all. She had a cookie with sugar. No, it was a cookie sandwich with icing in the middle and Christmas sprinkles. Ooh, those are too sweet for me. Oh, I'm skinny. (laughs) Literally not. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't like those, but I can eat two of the cookies. Like if you split that in half, I could eat it. But I don't like the icing in the middle because I don't know. It's just like, again, I don't like, well, I like thick meat, but not on my burgers. You really don't. I don't either. Because I love those sugar cookies with a lot of icing on them. I mean, it's not what you had, but like literally just cut it in half. I would eat both of those cookies. Yeah. Just together, too much. Okay, so this is a recommendation from the Facebook group. So shout out to Dawn C for recommending this. And that's Dawn, D-A-W-N. Show us how to get down. Do you remember that cheer? Yes. No, hey, how'd it go? Hey, Carrie. Yeah. Hey, Carrie. Yeah. Show us how to get down. Hey, show us how to get down. Okay. D-O-W-N, a nice way to get down. Mm Mm-hmm. Cheerleaders were not. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to talk about a haunted doll, but this time it is a Japanese haunted doll. Now, before I do talk about it, I want to just talk a little bit about the significance of dolls in Japanese culture. So starting way back in the day, 
dolls would be given to children after they were born. And it was so it might confuse the evil spirits and protect the children from getting sick. Kind of like why bridesmaids dress alike was to confuse the spirits so that they would protect the bride. Yep. Gotcha. Now, when the kid grew older and like came of age, they would then destroy the doll. Like it's done its purpose and they're going to destroy it. And it's like it's good luck then. So the dolls were, you know, basically to act as their twin to confuse any evil or misfortune headed that child's way. But also if the doll wasn't made to the child's liking, how it's like, oh, to trick them, the doll would usually have red hair. And that's the doll they would place next to any child who is sick to ward off any more illness and to help the healing. Now, another custom is from the Edo period, and that's that girls would have dolls and they would display them. But when you get married, you would then burn the dolls. And that had something about like doing fertility and all the things. Now, also, some believe that you can transfer your sins to the doll and then burn it. Now, there's a girl's day in Japan, and that's on March 3rd. Or if you're fancy, it's on the third day of the third month. I was like, wait, is that oh March 3rd? Like, it was too fancy for me to comprehend. So my mom's dad was born on January 13th in 1913. So he used to say he was born on the 13th day of the 13th month in the 13th year. Oh, love those threes. Also, I've been seeing 333 like almost three or four times. Like, I, I don't know. Remember, Carrie didn't know how many times her and Chloe had sex. <laughs> three, not more than five. I've been seeing it. Yeah. A lot. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Is this good? I don't know. But anyway, on March 3rd in Japan, this would be the time where people would lay dolls in the water and let them float away. And sometimes it was in like a wooden bowl and they would just like let them drift away. And that was to protect the girl the doll belonged to by like attracting the evil forces to follow the doll as she drifts off in the water thus protecting the girl. And yes, some dolls were seen as toys, but in Japanese culture, they believe that anything that is made in human likeness should never be mistreated. So they didn't just throw the dolls away when they were finished with them. There were different temples that will house discarded dolls. Like, if you're finished with it, it's like, okay, I'm going to bring it here. And they were basically hoarders for these dolls, but it's like you can't get rid of them. And they let you say your goodbyes and then leave that doll for another person, you know, for people to come and enjoy. Or you could do a cremation of the doll. But again, when I say you burn them and all of that, like it's not us just setting it on fire. There's a whole like doll funeral that happens. So it's not a mistreatment of them. It's almost like you are like giving them a peaceful goodbye. Yeah. And that's just like Cliff Notes version of all the things. But now we're into the story. So picture it. Hokkaido, Japan, 1918. There is a 17-year-old boy named Ekichi Suzuki, and he was in Sapporo at a maritime exhibition. 
Now, he wanted to buy his little sister, Okiku, something from the port. So before he departed, he wanted to go to like the famous market there. And while he was shopping, he saw things that he knew Okiku would love, but he was just waiting for that moment that he felt that is a perfect gift for my little sister. So he was searching and searching, and then his eyes fell on a doll. It was an Ichimatsu doll, which means that it's a traditional Japanese doll in like a nice silky kimono, and it's small, but like childlike. They have dark eyes, and their head is made of like porcelain-like substance with clay, and they have wooden bodies, so they're fragile and beautiful and very traditional. Now, he knew his sister would love the doll. She was two years old, and you know, who doesn't love a good doll, right? And the doll had a long bob haircut, like wasn't to the shoulders, but right right to the chin. And that's called an okapa. And basically that's a fashion of Japanese hairstyles. And it's just a nice blunt bob. Mm -hmm. And that was the same as his little sister. So it was really like her mini-me, basically. And also, there was just something he couldn't shake about this doll. It seemed special. So he bought the doll and headed home. Now, Okiku was in love with the doll at first sight. Because, hello, it looked like her, remember? She was probably a Leo. But (laughs) (laughs) it became her favorite toy. And almost more than a toy, it was her favorite companion. She even named the doll after herself, Okiku. And it said that she would talk to the doll like that was her best friend or her sister, not just a doll, not just her like imagination running wild. It was like she was having conversations. She would feed the doll. She would ask for dresses to be matched to her clothing so they could look alike. You know, they were seriously inseparable. Now, I have a question for you, Carrie. Okay. Did you ever have a toy like that that was like your favorite? Not really. I had a Cabbage Patch doll and Casey had a Cabbage Patch doll. And they had like we had one set of matching PJs with it that probably just came with it. But no, even then, it wasn't like this one toy that I was obsessed with. Me either. And I don't know what that means. Now, all my nephews do. Like, well, really my four oldest. Like, they all had a stuffed animal that really meant a lot to them until they were older, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I love Love Island, and a lot of them, like, a lot of the girls will have, like, an old stuffed animal that they bring, and it's like, you know, that's what they sleep with every night. And, you know, even some of the guys and just all of that. And I'm like, I just didn't love anything that much. Me neither. And again, I don't know what that says about us, that we didn't have one of those things. But like, yeah, I just have nothing that I'm like, that was the pinnacle. You know, it had to be with Mm -hmm. me. Because I did have a Cabbage Patch doll too, but it was a doll. You know, like I played with it, put her away, played with it, put her away. But it wasn't like, oh, I got to sleep with her. I got to do that. Like, that was my mom. Like, that's who my toy was, okay? Like... She had to be with me every step of the way. That's so freaking true. (laughs) Okay, well, back to Okiku. And sadly, the next year, she grew gravely sick. 
from what's now believed to have been yellow fever, but they had just said she had a really bad cold. She laid in bed, but you know what? Her favorite doll was right by her side as she rested. But unfortunately, days after being so sick, little three-year-old Okiku had passed away. Oh, God. Now, it's said that Okiku died gasping for breath and clutching her doll's hand tightly. And it appeared that the doll was holding on tightly to Okiku's hand as well. Now, the family wanted to place the doll with Okiku, but they weren't allowed. And I think because she was being cremated, and at that time, some of the materials of the doll just... I think it wouldn't have been pure with her ashes. And so they didn't want that to happen. Like, yes, they can cremate dolls and that's fine. But it's just for that, like not mixing with someone else's ashes. So they did the next best thing they could think of. And they added Okiku's doll, Okiku, and her remains to their shrine. And, you know, they were on the altar And they would pray to the doll, you know, just for her well-being in the afterlife to keep her memory alive. You know, like having this altar was a normal thing. It's not weird for them to have had this in their family. And this was a daily thing that the family would do. And, you know, things are hard to notice when you see someone daily. Like if someone's losing weight and you see them on the daily, it's hard to tell. But you give two months and you're like, holy shit, you've lost weight. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happened here. Because soon the family noticed that it seemed like the doll's hair was growing. It was longer than that original bob cut. And also the original hair was silky and smooth and polished before. But now the hair had some split ends. It had a little bit rougher of texture. And so the family attributed this to their daughter's spirit being alive in the doll, but they were scared that she was trapped by the doll. Because remember, the doll was holding onto her hand tightly, they said. So it's like, oh, no, this might be bad. Like she might not have been able to cross over because of this. Also, the family said around Okiku's birthday, there would be weird noises like banging and phantom footsteps. And that further made them believe, like, okay, she's trapped in the doll. Because they felt like it was a little intimidating, not, like, super scary, but still, like, I feel like she wouldn't have been doing that had she been happy. Yeah. And then they started having dreams of Okiku. And the next morning after they would have these dreams, the doll itself would be beside them or nearby, like it had moved in the night by itself. Lights would flicker on and off and then sometimes stay off. Strange noises could be heard on the anniversary of Okiku's passing. And over the years, like, the family kind of got used to it. And then they were like, you know what? Maybe it's just her being a kid and being, you know, like, running up and down the hall. That's the phantom footsteps. It's not her, like, huffing and puffing and being mad. It might just be her playing. Um, the voices she could just be whispering. You know how little kids would just like, they are the best whispers, like terrible. Yes. But like their whispers are, that's my ASMR. Yes. But like, you know, so maybe that's what was going on. And so they did have a shaman who came out to the home 
And the shaman witnessed this. And I think there were actually like two or three. And all of them were like, you know what? Her soul isn't trapped in the doll, but rather she's living through the doll. She's not trapped there. This was something that she wanted. This was her security. And she's now with y'all. And so the family really wasn't scared of the doll anymore. They, you know, found comfort in knowing that their daughter's spirit was living through this doll who was her favorite toy. And then if you think about it, the doll clutching her hand tight, that could have been comforting. It wasn't, you know, malicious, like, you can't leave me. Yeah. It was like, I'm right there with you. So the doll was kept by the family until 1938, and they had to move due to the war. And the family believed if they took the doll with them, it might not be safe. So they ended up giving the doll to the Meninji temple because remember i said like you could give dolls to the temples and they wanted their daughter's spirit to be able to live on and so that is where the okiku doll is today and i believe their daughter's ashes because i think they didn't want to keep her ashes and leave the doll because they yeah, would think separate it would, them yeah. yeah now the hair did not stop growing when she was placed in the temple either there is a priest or a monk you know it kind of changes and i don't think they're interchangeable but yeah in the different versions like they do change it's a priest it's a monk yeah you know, all the things but this person cuts Walks into a bar because that's <laughs> what it sounds like you're about to do yeah but no he cuts the doll's hair and he said he trims it because he had several dreams of the young girl okiku coming to him and asking him to please trim her hair what and I don't know if he trims of like every dream he has or if he's on like a six week rotation. <laughs> you know, I don't know. The damn doll gets her hair cut more than I do. I thought you said dog. No. Doll. But yes. Now, it's also said that the Meninji Temple had sent off a sample of the hair to be tested and it did come back as human hair. What? And now people can still visit the doll at the temple but they're not allowed to take pictures of Okiku the doll because they believe that it might steal the soul of Okiku the girl inside the doll. You said they can't come visit it, you said? No, they can. They can't take a picture. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. I missed. I didn't hear. Mm. Which reminds me, though, the like the picture still in the soul. It reminds me of Goosebumps, the Say Cheese and Die, if y'all know that one. And it also reminds me of are you afraid of the dark? There is this one episode where this girl and her family go to like a resort and it's supposed to be like, you want a free vacation, you know? And they're like, oh, cool. And then they're the only ones at this resort. And like, there's a young guy who's the only one doing stuff, but like he would take pictures and like in their mirrors mm -hmm. and stuff like the technology that he had would like steal their soul every time they looked at themselves and stuff like that. But I mean, I know that's like a lot of different things, but that's what it reminded me of, <laughs> like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because that's, you know what? That's what my toys were like, the Goosebumps, the books and like the show, but also like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like those times with my mom. Yeah. That's what I would like cherish. Yeah. Now, did I keep the books? No. But... Probably we had to sell them at a yard sale because we were poor. So mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but 
But I'll tell you what, I sure bought the fuck out of them at the book fairs. I don't think I ever bought anything at those book fairs. Well, because they had goosebumps and they would be like latest ones and stuff. And so we'd read them all the time. And it was kind of like a two for (laughs) a two for one because Kenneth would lay in there and read it, too. You know, so it was like both of us. She could calm with the horror stuff, which is probably why I'm weird as fuck. Like who reads fucking Stephen King and Goosebumps before going to bed? Like, to your kids. All right, let's get in here. <laughs> Probably most of the people listen to this podcast. True. That. That's true. That is true. And that's why, you know, y'all stick with us for 300 episodes because we're all weird together. But okay, here is something else that's weird. So people have said that they went to visit the doll of Kiku and the hair has grown. And like, they're like, okay, well, maybe whatever. But then when they come back, it's even longer. You know, and they're like, no, 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 that's like, whoa, long. Yeah. And then something else that's creepy is that recently people who have went there say that the mouth will move like it'll open slightly. And they said that if you look closely, you can see little baby teeth starting to form. No, uh-uh, 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 don't do the baby teeth. <laughs> And so people say, like, it seems like the doll is becoming more human. Mm -mm. Now, like I said, there are different versions of this story. How I said, like, some were priests, some were monks, you know, all of that. But this is the one I found to be the most common story. But there's also some theories on why this doll's hair continues to grow. Because really, no one's saying it's not growing. People are seeing it. It is growing. But they're like, We got the receipts on why it is. The Ichimatsu dolls were sometimes made with real human hair. So that would be why it did come back human, because it was human. We just automatically assume, like, it's Okiku's hair. True. Yeah, it's not like it was like a DNA test. It was like, no, it's really her hair. Right. And the glue that they used to attach the hair to the doll's head, it was known sometimes to cause some hair growth. Like, it had something, I'm like, wait, what is it in there? Because I need it for my hair. Well, that does make sense if it, like, pulls out a little bit as time goes on. Right. But, I mean, the girl got a a trim and a blowout already, and it's still growing. (laughs) Yes. Well, so, they said that, like, literally, it really wouldn't make it grow. And so, the dolls would still be, like, in the warehouse, basically, and they would let the hair grow a little bit. To where it's kind of stopped. And then they would trim the hair to back to the Okapa hairstyle. And then they would, you know, like, it wouldn't be uneven. It would be nice, silky, smooth. And then go out to the stores. However, for the hair to continually grow and, like, such, like, lengths, that's strange. But then some say, yeah, it's not the glue or anything like that. It's how the dolls were made, not with really glue, but it would have, say, you get some hair and it's longer than what you want. And again, they want that bob hairstyle. So they would fold the hair up and they would have like a thread in the middle and secure the hair on top. So the hair is actually longer than like, say, 10 centimeters. That was the desired length. So over time, the hair could become loose. 
in that thread. And so that's why it's growing. But if you think about it, they had to cut it all the time. And so if they cut it, that would have been noticeable to me because if it's like folded over and you cut it, it would have been like two halves. Like, it, you know what I mean? It would have mm-hmm. been layered weird. And I feel like you could have been able to see that. Yeah. You be the judge. I definitely don't believe that that hair was growing, growing, growing. Like, I think it was, like you said, the glue's loosening, shit's happening, and it looks like it's growing. But if you hear, oh, my God, there's this doll, and she's attached to the little girl that owned her, and her hair grows, you go see her, and you come back three months later, and you're like, oh, my God, I think her hair grew. True. Your mind plays tricks on you. You're like, no, it grew. Like, are we actually taking a freaking ruler to this hair and measuring it to see, did it really grow? No. Because perception is your reality. And so if it looks like it grew to you, then you think it, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. So I don't buy it actually grew. Yeah. I like this because it's creepy, but not like malicious. Yeah. I think the doll did exactly what it was supposed to do. And it was there for her when she was little and she needed help and she needed comfort, especially as she was sick. So I don't think that with all you said with the Japanese culture, they revered the doll and dolls period you know yeah and two i can only imagine that those parents are looking for everything that they can possibly find to hold ties to their baby daughter that's so true so thank you so much don c for that recommendation okay jumping right in to my story this is about nancy fister but it's spelled with a p so all i can think of is that dog that does the stupid I do know that one. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the dog without the chin with the T. It's literally all I can think of. But that's, I digress. Okay. So Nancy Pfister was born July 4th of 1956. She was born in Idaho, but she was raised in Colorado. Sidebar, do you say Colorado or Colorado? Colorado. Well, Keith Morrison says Colorado, and it made me think, do I say that wrong? Because he's right on everything. (laughs) I know it's Nevada. Yes, it is. They voted. Oh, did they? Uh Uh-huh. So clearly you can tell that this was an episode of Dateline. It was a show on Oxygen. It's been all over the place. But Nancy grew up in a suburb of Aspen and really became this Aspen socialite. So her dad, this is how rich they are. Her dad's name is Art. A-R-T? Yeah. Okay. That like every any art is very rich. Yeah, I feel like you did a story where a guy was like a sugar daddy and his name was Art. Yeah. What is, I can't, I think her mom's name was Betty, but I want to be like, it's like Bipsy. I was going to say, what was the mother-in-law's name on Sex and City, but it was Bunny. Never mind, I digress. Okay, Art basically made his fortune because they had a cattle ranch. And in 1958, he turned this cattle ranch into a ski resort. So Aspen, ski resort, they had money. Her mom was one of the women Air Force service pilots in World War II. That's freaking cool. Right? So she was a pilot and would fly helicopters. And later on, they owned their own helicopter. And she would literally park the helicopter like in the family's driveway. Like, wow. Nancy is said to have rubbed elbows with the who's who of everybody. Like she was even said to have been engaged to Michael Douglas for a little while. But allegedly she was friends with JFK, 
Jack Nicholson, Cher, all the people. So that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, just kind of, she was the who's who of Aspen. Now, she had quite a bit of an inheritance, and that's essentially what she lived on. She did a lot of, like, philanthropy work, but it seems like she mostly just lived off of her inheritance. In my poor brain, I'm just like, I bet she just lived off of the interest. I think that's how that works, right? Probably. Well, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but she would do some things to supplement her income because her inheritance was like a fixed amount she got every month. It wasn't like she got this lump sum. She got like a little bit as she went to live off of. But like her dad built her a log cabin in the 90s. And in her late 20s, she had a daughter. And then on two things, I saw that she had a son. But like everything else said she was a single mom with a one daughter. On Wikipedia, and I can't remember what the other source was, it said that she had a son. But even in like the Dateline and the stuff on Oxygen, it said she had one daughter. So unsure. Her son was Casper Hauser from my other story. You're, you don't remember shit. No, I'm like, who, Devin Sawa? I don't understand. No, he was like the man in the Iron Mask. Get it, Casper? Oh. <laughs> I knew you didn't get that. No. Because <laughs> in my head, I'm picturing how his name was spelled, and it's not right, it's Casper. Like, it was uh, K. Oh. So, like, in my head, it didn't even click. Oh, I was thinking you were thinking about how Devin Sawa's name was pronounced. I mean, spelled. Okay, bye. No. But the story I did, uh, you know, last week. I knew it was just recently. Anyway, if you haven't listened to it, it's like this teenager just is out of nowhere. And they're like, who's that guy? So Nancy had this kind of larger than life personality. She would travel a lot. She had a lot of friends. Some people say to know her as a lover. Some people say, you know, it was kind of hard to be friends with her because Sometimes the lines would get blurred of, are you there to help her or are you there as her friend, you know, where she would kind of expect you to do things for her and you'd have to be like, no. And then she'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. So some people were like, it was kind of hard to love Nancy, but it seemed like for the most part, everybody loved her. She was the life at the party and just would kind of schmooze everybody. And again, was just what you would think of when you think of and like an Aspen socialite. They said that she really did treat everyone the same, though. So whether she was with kind of the who's who or she was just whatever, she treated everybody the same. So one way that Nancy would supplement her income was that when she would travel, she would rent her house out to get her a little cash for like her trips and stuff. So she was like VRBO. Before VRBO, yes. Yeah. But this house is renting for like $4,000 a month. But picture this. This happens in like 2014, this story. So when this story takes place, Nancy had been renting her house out to a couple. It was Dr. Trey Styler and his wife, Nancy Styler. So kind of confusing because there's two Nancys. But Nancy Fister, who was the homeowner, was traveling to Australia and was going to be gone for a while. And so she was going to rent the house out to the Stylers. Now, the Stylers had gotten together when they met. Trey was a doctor. Nancy was an instructor. 
And they were both super smart and just really hit it off. They got married in 85. Now, Trey had two kids from a previous marriage, but the two didn't have any biological children of their own. When you say instructor, do you mean teacher or like aerobics? And wow, I can't even say the word. You know you don't exercise when you can't fucking say the word. But like aerobics instructor. I don't really know what type of instructor. All I know is it was like, I think like at the hospital where he worked. So oh, okay. I'm not really sure. Like, was she like a nurse? I, I have no idea. Okay. Everything just said instructor. That's okay. Because everything in my story said maritime exhibition. And I was like, sure. Okay. That's what it's going to be. Because <laughs> I don't really know. You're like, a you show boats? Right. But it wasn't that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was... So she's an instructor, and he went to a maritime exhibition. Uh, I didn't even bat an eye at that when you said that. So in 2000, Dr. Trey became ill. I don't really know of what. Never really saw. Maybe that was somewhere, and I just didn't see it. But he got ill to the point where he had to stop practicing medicine. He was an anesthesiologist. And when he had to stop, he was like the chair of the anesthesiology department. But because he had to stop practicing in like what his job was, he decided to try to open up a medical support business, whatever the fuck that means. That just sounds like rich people talk to me of like, I trade commodities. What the fuck is a commodity? I mean, everything's a commodity apparently, but I don't know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, this... Like he tried to open it with a couple of people and it failed. So he tried to sue the medical group that he like lost his ass with from this medical support business failing. That sounds like a front. It's not, but I just don't understand. So he lost the lawsuit. So then he tried to turn around and sue the lawyer like for him losing and he didn't win that either. So he literally has like no money now at this point. Like life savings is gone. So they had to sell the house. This part comes from the Dateline episode. And it said that like they moved into a rental house where they almost died of like carbon monoxide poisoning. So then they tried to sue about the poisoning, but like they couldn't even hire an attorney for that. They were so broke. So. They decided that they wanted to move to Aspen and try to open a spa. They were like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to make some money. So that's how they got in touch with Nancy Pfister was to rent her house so that they could go up to Aspen and start to try to rebuild their lives. Now, Nancy Pfister was one of those people that's like meets you and then like three seconds later, you're best friends and you're going to lunch and then you're moving in together and all the things, right? It's like, She's you. Literally, I was going to say, that sounds like something I would do. And I'm like, pull back the reins because you don't know who they are and this can blow up in your face. Mm -hmm. So that's who Nancy was. And so she was just kind of taken with the stylers. And she she was like, you know what? Even though I'm not leaving for like a month, why don't you go ahead and come on and move in? I'll get my shit together to go on my trip. You know, all's well that ends well. This doesn't end well. This doesn't end well. Now, this wasn't like a formal lease. It was just kind of an agreement between them. Like I said, the rent was $4,000 a month, which is a shit ton of money. But we're also talking about Aspen. So it was actually, according 
to the Dateline episode pretty cheap for Aspen. Now, Nancy had a really good friend named Kathy that was kind of her, even though she was like one of her good friends, she was kind of the manager of her estate when she was gone out of town. Nancy Styler didn't really love Nancy Pfister. She said that at first she treated her really poorly. Like she would be like, oh, go get my drink. Oh, go do this. Oh, go do this. And it's like, I'm here renting your house. I'm not here to work for you. Like I'm paying you for space. You ain't paying me. So no. Basically, everybody's like, don't take it personally because that's just how Nancy is. Like she forgets. Sometimes she blurs those lines of like, are you there to hang out with her and be your friend? Or are you there to like do things for her? You know, but you know, Nancy Fister did help kind of take him around the community, introduce him to people, took him to some parties, that kind of thing. And eventually, Nancy Fister left and went to Australia. Or did she? She did. But while Nancy Fister was gone, that's when Nancy Styler started realizing the house wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It was kind of had some issues. She said that the water was rusty. Dishwasher didn't work. The stove didn't work. All these different things. And so they said, you know what? We're not going to pay you the rent until you get some of these things fixed. Well, so Nancy Pfister was pissed. And she's like, you got to pay me my rent. Well, Kathy kind of helps get everything fixed and all of that. And then the Stylers end up paying her like $6,000 of, you know, rent with some back rent. So they get paid up once she gets everything fixed. But this left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. They didn't really get along. And the stylers were like, you know what? We're going to be out February 22nd. Like, we are ending this early. We're going to buy. I don't know who the bad person is here, but the stylers, I don't trust them because they've tried to do something, I feel like, shady a lot. Yeah. With, like, the lawsuits and stuff. Not that a lawsuit's shady, but, like, if you do five lawsuits in a row. Right. It seems like you're doing something shady. Right. So Nancy Fister's like, well, I'm going to come home then, try to get all this worked out. If they're leaving early, you know, the whole thing. And so she's like, fine, y'all leave and I'll come home too. Because Nancy wanted to avoid Aspen at like peak season. You know, she's like, tourists are here, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get out. I'm going to go, you know, somewhere nicer. So she was kind of like, blah. So she would rather be a tourist, like, somewhere else. Right. Than have tourists, like, be there. Right. So Nancy Pfister is supposed to get home, like, the day that the Stylers are moving out. And when she gets there, she realizes that they're not done getting their stuff out. So she's like, are you freaking kidding me? And it caused a bit of a an argument. But Nancy's like, you know what? I'm freaking tired. I just want to go home. I just want to hang out with my dog because she would leave her dog and her friend would take care of the dog while she traveled. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to do this and I'm gonna, and I'm just going to go to bed. I'm freaking jet lagged. I'm coming from Australia to Colorado. I just want to go to bed. She's a mixture of me and you because the whole it's too people here. That's you. Yep. And then the I'm just fucking tired. That's me. Mm-hmm. So where is she you in this? Oh, the, yeah, yeah uh, uh-huh. the thing we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> she had an attitude, too. Like, where are you in this? You pointed it out earlier, ma'am. <laughs> Kathy said, Nancy, when she would go to bed like this, 
after her trips, she like what don't disturb her. Like phone goes on do not disturb. Let me be. Like Kathy left her house, put like literally put a do not disturb sign on her door. Like girl is out for like three days when she comes home jet lagged like that. You know she had some medicine helping her out. For real. So during this time while she's sleeping, the stylers are still like they got a hotel about 25 minutes away. And they still kind of came back and forth to the house to get some of their things. And after a little while, they noticed, like, wait, we've seen the dog a couple of times, but we haven't seen Nancy. Like, where the fuck is Nancy Fister? So they actually made a call to Kathy, the friend, and was like, something's not right. You come check on her. So on February 26th of 2014, Kathy stops by the house. Now, Kathy, because she was kind of like the manager of the estate when Nancy Fister was gone, she had keys to everything. So she goes around and she's looking and she doesn't see anything, but she also doesn't see Nancy. And then she gets to the closet in the bedroom. Now, you know, Airbnbs, VRBOs, all the things, they always have a locked closet with all of their personal things. Well, Nancy Fister had the same thing, and that was this closet. So basically, she and Kathy were the only ones that had keys to it. Kathy just couldn't really figure out what was going on. And so she opens the closet door. So it was weird that the closet was locked. Because when Nancy got home, the closet was always unlocked. And they specifically unlocked it. So Kathy helped her bring all of her luggage in, start kind of you know, putting stuff away, all of that. So Kathy knew that she had unlocked that closet. So when she gets in the bedroom and she finds this locked closet, she's like, something's not right. So when Kathy opens the door to the closet, that unmistakable odor hits her. She looks down and she can see a shape with, because there's like all these blankets and stuff over it. But she can see the outline and she just knows that that is Nancy. So Kathy freaks out, gets in her car, leaves the house and calls 911. And you can hear this 911 call online. And it is one of the most hysterical 911 calls ever heard. I don't know how 911 dispatchers do it because I don't know what the fuck she is saying. Like, how do y'all understand people in the midst of all this trauma when they're like, bawling, crying, and screaming, and speaking nonsense. Like, I need subtitles. How do y'all do that? And y'all are doing it in, like, real time, with real seriousness, with real trauma. Like, y'all are, like, needs gold stars beyond gold stars, because I don't know how y'all do it. So the police get there. Like, they end up having to send Kathy literally to the hospital. She's, like, hyperventilating, because she is in such a panic from what she just found. Which I totally understand. Oh, for sure. She just found her best friend, like, dead in the closet. I mean, completely understand. But it was literally incredibly hysterical. Yeah, the girl was doing the most. Very much so. So when the police get in there, there was a little bit of blood on the headboard and a little bit on the carpet. But when they got into the closet, it was hard for them to even realize that there was even a body there. They really could just see a lot of, like, the sheets and stuff that were over it. I'm not trusting the stylers here. So as they kind of uncovered her, they found 
an extension cord that I think had been used to tie her up, maybe. I don't, I'm not really sure. It's just like she was found with an extension cord. So that's weird. But there were plastic bags over her head and she had been beaten in the head. But it's also like she clearly had, I mean, she died of blunt force trauma to the head. So where's all the blood? So as they do some more investigating, they actually flip the mattress over and find the pool of blood on the mattress on the underside. Classic. So police, of course, immediately go to work and they start with the stylers because on the 911 call, Kathy points a finger to the stylers. I mean, I am. Sorry, stylers, if it's not you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let me say, too, the police did their due diligence. I mean, Nancy Fisher was dating and all of that. So they did their due diligence, like looking at other people, too. The police were thinking, this has to be two people, right? I mean, you've got somebody flipping the mattress. It was a queen-size mattress, so it's, I mean, whatever. But And then to move a body, wrap her up like that, you know, drag her into the closet, all of that. They're like, it's probably two people, right? But also, let me just say, I can flip a queen mattress by myself. I mean, a king mattress would be hard, but a queen mattress ain't that hard. Well, I've actually done it, and that's not saying much. <laughs> right. Well, Or it is saying a lot, that it actually doesn't take that much. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be like a ox. I don't know. That's a bull. I don't know. What's something that's strong? I can't think of anything. But it did seem to me, like, I just felt like police were like, oh, it's got to be two people. One person couldn't move the body and flip the mattress. But I'm thinking, yeah, they could. But I felt like they really did go to, it's a team, pretty quickly. Maybe because there wasn't a lot of blood. Like, if it was just one person, they might have dragged. Dragged, yeah. yeah. But also, there wasn't forced entry to the house. So, like, somebody had to have a key. Like, how did people, you know, get in here without this forced entry? And then, you know, the police find out all the drama around the stylers and what they had gone through and, you know, losing basically their life savings and then moving up there and then the withholding the rent and yada, yada, yada. And that's why Nancy had to come home. And so the police were, you know, their spidey senses were kind of going off. So the police bring the stylers in for an interview. So when the police are interviewing Nancy Styler, she thinks that Nancy Fister actually died by suicide. She's like, oh, you're going to find on the toxicology report that it was like she was taking something. She firmly believed that. She had no idea about like what the police had actually found at the crime scene. Or she knew her husband was an anesthesiologist and could have the medicine and know what to do. Good fucking point. So the investigators are like, actually... She was beaten to death in her sleep. And that kind of changed everything. So at this point, the police are just interviewing them. And they actually give old Dr. Trey a polygraph. And he fails it. Like, fails it. But he's like, I did not do this. Look at me physically. Like, I am frail. My wife has to help me do everything. There's no way that I could have killed her moved her body like I couldn't beat up a child don't beat up children but that was literally his example like he's like I don't have the physical fortitude to be able to do this he's like I'm 65 my body's ravaged by disease but like I don't know what disease I don't trust him at all and I'm like he wasn't anything he probably got caught doing 
like medicine that he was prescribing, like yeah. doing. And so then it covered up and all the things like, I just do not trust them. Allegedly. We don't know that he did that with medicine, allegedly. Here's the thing, though. The investigation led to nothing as far as the crime scene. So they didn't have anything to hold them on, really. You know, it was just like, hey, we're going to ask you some questions, but they have to let him go. The sellers are staying at this motel, right? Well, dumb fucking luck. So at this public trash can, you are not supposed to be able to put your personal stuff in a public trash can in this area. So this city worker was, for some reason, actually checking the trash to see, like, did somebody put their personal trash in here? And he found a garbage bag that had this trash in it. Now, this was actually pretty damn close to the hotel that the stylers were staying at, like behind it, basically super, super close. And when he opens the bag of trash, he sees a medicine bottle with Nancy Fister's name on it. Now, this is like the first murder that's happened in Aspen in like 10 years. So this blew the fuck up. Like people knew Nancy's name because it had been all over the news, all the things. So he immediately recognized Nancy's name on this bottle. Also inside, they find a bloody hammer. Not a fucking hammer. I know. Oh, my God, I know. They send the hammer off to the crime lab being like, this has got to be the murder weapon. Comes back that the blood is Nancy Fister's. And then they also have the medicine bottle with her name, like tying it all together. But also in the bag was a vehicle registration to the Stylers Jaguar that they drove. Oh, fuck. So the police go to bring the Stylers in. And while they're there... They literally find a key on the ground, like a key fell from their pocket or whatever. And it is the other key to the closet. So the sellers are like, we did not fucking do this. And they're like, you're under arrest. Like, we are coming for you like you did this. And they're like, we did not do this. Oh, my God. Did they not do this? So literally while the stylers are waiting, something I heard on the Dateline episode was like, while they were awaiting trial or whatever, like, I don't think that they let them out of jail. Like, they were not allowed to be bonded out. Like, they stayed in jail the entire time once they had been arrested. But while this is going on, the police are still doing their due diligence, investigating all the things. But they're also still a little bit like, was this too easy? Was this, like, we literally just stumbled upon this trash and then... You know, they had already been to the motel once to bring them in for an interview. And then when they go back to arrest them, like, here's this key. Like, was this too easy? Because Kathy sure was quick to blame them on this 911 call. So, like, is she framing them? She was the last one to see her alive and was like, she sleeps for three days. Like, put up the do not disturb sign, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Kathy and Nancy had a little bit of a rocky friendship because, again, Nancy would kind of forget her place in that she would expect Kathy to work for her when they're just friends and she's just helping you out. Like, you're not, from what I understand, she wasn't, like, paying her to manage her stuff or anything like that. Oh, wait, I thought she was paying her to do that. No, I don't think so. I think she was just being nice and helping her. And then police were like, ooh, this was weird. Well, not only was she, like I said, incredibly hysterical on the 911 call, but literally the day after Nancy died, Kathy went to her safe deposit box 
and took the $6,000 cash that was the last rent payment that the sellers had made and this like family heirloom ring. Sorry, stylers. Sorry. So Kathy says that, well, I did that because she asked me to. Like that was our kind of agreement. Like, hey, if anything happens to me while I'm traveling, this ring was like her mother's and Nancy's sisters wanted it, but Nancy wanted her daughter to have it. So she was like, if anything happens to me, get that out of the safe deposit box and give it to my daughter. So it's like, okay, I can understand that, but also it's kind of sketch, you know? Yeah. Like literally the day after she dies, you're like, hey, can I get into safety deposit box 543, please? You know, that's just weird. But people do weird shit around death and money. So the other thing that police were like, oh, about Kathy was because they said that she knew a lot of details about how Nancy looked. But when they got there, first responders got there, they could not see Nancy's body at all. So they said when she said stuff like, I saw blood on her forehead, they're like, you couldn't fucking see her forehead. Like, you're telling me where her injury is and literally physically could not see her face and her head because of how covered up she was. So like, how the fuck you know that? Man, don't have friends. But she said that on the 911 call. Like, the transcript shows that she said she saw blood on her forehead. So then police were like, okay, wait, is it all three of them? Fuck you, Stylers. <laughs> <laughs> this is such an emotional roller coaster it is. for you. I mean, they're like, okay, could it literally, could it be all three of them? Because again, Nancy and Nancy hated each other and fought, and Kathy was kind of their go between and had kind of been railroaded at some points in their friendship. So did they do all this together? And then Kathy was the first one to be like, actually, you know what? If somebody's going down, they're going to fuck me because they're a team. So I'm going to fuck them first. You know, mention them on the 911 call. So the police are like, did they do this together? Well, you can't trust anyone that you go into a murder with. Right. You know, like, hey, we're all three going to do this and we're all going to have each other's back. Sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can't. No. Police, like I said, they had brought, well, I may not have said this, but they brought Kathy back in for questioning and they questioned her for like 20 hours. It was over a course of a few days, but she never wavered. Like they were hitting her with hard questions like, you know, so did you go in the closet? Did you move anything? Did you do all this? And she's like, no. And they're like, so how could you have possibly seen her face or this or that? You know, and they're hitting her with some pretty hard questions. And she never wavers. She never says, like, I did this or anything like that. But they have her take a polygraph. And she bombed that polygraph worse than freaking uh, Trey Steeler, Stylers, whatever the fuck his name is. Trey, Dr. Trey. So the police ended up, like, three weeks after Nancy died, they charged Kathy with first-degree murder as well. So, of course, now everybody has attorneys and everybody's attorneys are like, this is crap and this person's framing this person and there's no way these people could have done it and blah, blah, blah. Everybody's claiming innocence. But then one day, the district attorney gets a call and the call is from Trey Styler's attorney. Trey wants to talk. Trey ends up making a deal and Trey confesses to the murder of Nancy Pfister with the agreement that his wife would be released from prison or jail without, like, no strings attached. Like, they're just going to release her. Like, she won't be charged. 
And so they're like, oh, do we agree to this? Like, are we, did she really do this, you know? And so they bring him in, you know, like, okay, let's talk about this. Like, you make your confession. He says that he snuck out of the hotel, drove their Jaguar over there, crept upstairs, made sure she was sleeping, went back downstairs, got a hammer, and I think he said an axe, went back upstairs, killed her, put her in the closet, flipped the mattress. Um, but you said you were too frail to do this. He's like, well, you know, I liken it essentially to, you know how moms can like flip a car. I knew you were going to say that. And they're like, the DA is like literally in the audio is like, hold the phone. I don't even remember how she said it. You're not going to sit here and compare you murdering Nancy Fister to a mom saving a child. Like, shut the right. fuck up right the fuck right now. Yes. Like, I knew you were going to say fuck that. Fuck all the way off. But tell us more. Like, so you did this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, shut up, but keep going. Right. Quit being a douchebag, but tell us all the things. Dr. Siler said, like, Nancy had absolutely nothing to do with this. Like, it was just me. She had nothing to do with it. Now, the DA was basically like, I don't fucking believe you, but I can't prove it that she had something to do with it. So they actually released both Nancy and Kathy from prison. It was like, okay, well, what about Kathy saying she saw her forehead? Yeah. She didn't say that. The transcript was wrong. When you go back and listen to the 911 call, she said she saw blood on the headboard, not her forehead. And it is clear on the 911 call, she says forehead. I mean, headboard. Sorry. Look at me fucking it up. (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah. No, she clearly says headboard. And her attorney is the one that called it. And he said, like, he listened to it like 10 times before he even told anybody just to make sure. So he had that kind of sitting in his pocket, but he ended up not needing it. And like I said about like the ring and all of that, she was like, no, I really was trying to protect the daughter. Now, the daughter has like nothing to do with her. There's some weirdness there, but okay, let me go on. So what ends up happening is Trey gets sentenced to 20 years in prison. Now, when he first confessed, because they're both in prison, so Nancy Styler has no idea what's going on because they're both in jails and aren't allowed to talk, right? When she gets out, her attorney hands her a letter from Trey, and it's like, hey, like, basically, I'm doing this to protect you. I'm not guilty. And so she's like, wait, what? Blah, 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 blah. But then later, she gets another letter from him saying that he did do it. But not long into Trey's sentence, he actually died by suicide. Okay, so I think I found this part on Wikipedia. It said that he was found dead in his cell and that he died by suicide by choking after he swallowed a small piece of plastic that he broke from a pen. Oh, my gosh. But on the Dateline episode, they said that he hanged himself. So I don't know which is true, but either way, he died by suicide. And it if he did it by choking himself like that, with that, like, that is awful. But I also saw that like they had begun divorce proceedings, him and Nancy. But the Dateline thing said that they were already divorced. So I don't know if they had actually fully divorced or if they were like going through it. But Nancy had filed for bankruptcy because not only had they lost all their life savings from the things before Nancy Fister's murder, 
but certainly after with the attorneys and this and that. And Nancy Fister's daughter sued her and I think won for a wrongful death suit. Well, when Trey died by suicide, she had a million dollar life insurance policy on him that a suicide does not negate. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. So they had taken that policy out in, in 1985 because she had already filed bankruptcy. She was able to keep that million dollars. What? Yes. And she's actually written a book where she kind of comes after Nancy Fister a good bit. So people are like, this is gross that you wrote this book. Like this is people kind of came for Nancy Styler for writing that book. It's also weird to me that like in the Dateline episode, Kathy says like she wishes Nancy's daughter would forgive her. Keith Morrison's like, forgive you for what? And she's like, oh, I don't even know why I said forgive. It's like she kind of oh, like weird. slipped up a little bit there. I don't know. So allegedly, a lot of people think that because when Trey came in for his confession, he came in in a wheelchair. So like, is he like Golden State killering us? Right. But like kind of backwards? Like, or is he, you know what I mean? Like, is he really kind of in a wheelchair and then just randomly got this brute strength? Or were they actually all in it together? Yeah. We don't know. I mean, as of now, there's no charges and all charges were dropped on Kathy and Nancy Styler. So did they get away with murder or did Trey Styler really do it by himself? I know he didn't do it by himself. I don't think he did either. Allegedly. But yeah. no, I don't think he did either. I don't know for a fact, but I know for a fact. Yeah, I don't know for a fact. Don't sue me. Uh because they do be suing. Right? I was about to say, that is, <laughs> that is something that you're, well, not good at, but... Well, but we ain't got nothing, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Best Bethany Frankel quote of all time. My sister reminded me of it the other day because we were talking about sister wives, about Robin. Anyway, but you can't be stupid and smart. Like, mm -hmm. you can't play stupid and smart. So, like, he can't be frail and then killed somebody at the same time. Yeah. So, like... Either he's frail, like he said in the first interview, and how he presented in the confession, and he didn't murder her alone, or the frailty is a farce, and he's stronger than he's letting on, because we don't know what his illness is. And, you know, it could be said, it could be something like a lupus or something like that, that waxes and wanes, and there may be days that he's stronger, but like, Flipping a mattress, moving a dead body strong when the next day you're in a wheelchair, it's usually not that big of a change. Right. Now, could you go from using a wheelchair as an assisted device to maybe a cane one day to maybe nothing one day? Absolutely. That is within the realm of the waxing and waning of chronic illness. But to be like, I'm flipping mattresses? I don't know. Yeah, no, I just don't think, I don't think he did it by himself. I don't think he would pay that much attention to the detail. Like that seemed, this is kind of being like very gender specific, but like it seemed very cleaned up. Like they missed some blood on the headboard. They missed a little blood on the carpet, but like the rest of the cleanup and like they had her kind of even wrapped up like a mummy. Like she was just very wrapped up and very put in the closet, like almost like remorseful in a way and hidden away. Like you're hiding what you did because you're, Mm -hmm. remorseful you know or 
guilty, you know? And so I just don't see that coming from him. Right. I feel like he was like the mastermind behind it. And with the pills and stuff, like, again, knew the dosage of what to do to be like, you know, it's a suicide or, you know. But I never heard the toxicology, but it didn't, as far as I know, show... A suicide. It didn't show that she had like medication in her system. But again, I don't. I never saw a toxicology, so it could be wrong. But like, what were the pills? Right. What was that pill bottle? What were the pills? But also, like, if you're going to do that, then did it not work or something in the way in the time that you thought it would? So you used the hammer. Or, like, where did it go from pills to the? I don't know. Or maybe they were still in her pills or something. And I'm really leaning on that he had. A problem with pills. You really are, but where did the, but but like why would they all of a sudden steal her pills when she got back the day they were supposed to be moved out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she could have found out later, like that they had. I don't know. But what they were just stealing her pills while she was in Australia. Like, why didn't she take any with her? Fuck if I know. I know. I, I, I don't yeah. feel like that's possible. But I don't know why they would have the pill bottle then. Yeah, why was the pill bottle with the ham? Which is why it feels like a setup. Yeah. Because why did you have the pill bottle with her name on it with the thing? And why was there vehicle registration in there? Yeah. Like that feels very set up. And again, the key wasn't there when they picked him up the first time. And when they did the second time, it was there. Like, oh, all of a sudden it whoops out of his pocket. You know what that kind of feels like? Making a murderer when right. they move that nightstand or whatever. And I think it was a key there. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, you literally moved the nightstand the last time and it didn't fall. Yeah. But if he had the key, he might have had it and forgot it was in its jeans or something. Yeah. You know, or know. it could have been in the bag that they were throwing it away or whatever. I don't know. I just don't feel like it was by himself, but I feel like he was in on it. Oh, for I, sure. And I really feel like they were all three in on it. I don't know, because every time I think it's just the stylers, I'm like, yeah, but... The evidence was just too pointed to them. Mm-hmm. So that makes me go, it was all three of them. But I do feel like he fell on the sword because of what he had done to their family with the practice and the losing all of the money and all of that. Because they had this life and they had what they thought the rest of their lives were going to be in retirement. They were only 65. And so he basically retired as a director of anesthesiology and then tried to start this practice and lost everything. Yeah. They sold their house and then they moved into this rental and then the thing happened with that and da, 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 da. And it was like, okay, so he fell on the sword as repayment to her for what he had put her through. Yeah. But in order for him to do that for her, he has to do it for Kathy because if he implicates Kathy, then he's also going to implicate her. Right. Because you can't have one without the other. Yeah. If Kathy's involved. I don't know. All of it just seems very sus. And it's really sus to me, too, that it seems like Kathy and Nancy Fister were so close and maybe even close to her daughter. But the daughter, like, doesn't have anything to do with her. I mean, obviously, she was, like, put in jail for your mom's murder. So, like, I can understand that. Even if you think that she didn't do it, that's just weird, you know? Yeah. I I can appreciate that. But... Just the way at the end of that episode she was talking, I was like, ooh, that's red flag. Yeah. Red flag. God, I hate this one. It was an an emotional roller coaster for you. It was because I was so sure the stylers, right? Like, 
all I'm sorry, but like just all the lawsuits, I just did not trust them from the very beginning. But then I was like, oh, wait, I'm like too headstrong on them. Yeah. And, you know, the devil in plain sight right here. But yeah, I think all three of them did something. I mean, it seems like it. It seems like the reasonable conclusion. But according to the case, it was just him. But even the district attorney and stuff is like, no, yeah, I don't think it was just him. Yeah. But there's literally no proof. Like, yeah. they don't even have, like, a confession or they don't even have anybody to testify. Like, they have nothing to keep them on. Like, what are you going to... Because any defense attorney worth their salt will be able to poke holes in anything. Yeah. Even if they arrested Nancy Styler, there would be enough, like, was that planted to get her off? Yeah. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think, because both of these were head scratchers. Including the hair. Yeah. Growing. Right. <laughs> so is the hair really growing or is it just like eh, maybe you think it is, you want to think it is, so it looks like it is. That's kind of like your story though. Yeah. Like I want it to be all three of them. <laughs> and so it kind of looks like all three of them. But is it really? We don't know. I really want to know what his illness is. And I think that would clear up a lot. Mm-hmm. Y'all let us know what you think or if you can be sleuths and figure out what his illness is. Thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things. Merry Christmas, and remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.